Well, it's nice to see all of you this evening. I got a <clears throat> funny human interest story to tell you tonight. So I was in Chicago this week, and uh, actually Tim came with me for a couple of the days. It was great to have you there, Tim. And uh, I think sometime soon I'll have you share your experience there sometime. Would you like to do that? I thought you might. <clears throat> So one one particular morning, I uh, I was walking down the hall, dressed as you see me now, and I was singing in my guttural tone a particular song about God, actually. And I'm just walking down the hall, and this guy comes walking at me, and uh, he stops and he goes, "Man, you're from U2, aren't you?" I said, it depends on which one you mean. If you think I'm Bono, I'm down with that. It's okay. Yeah, I have some really weird things happen to me sometimes. It's really true. That really happened. He got off. I said, you want an autograph? He said, sure. I signed it, Mark Darling. No, I, I didn't do that part. I didn't do that part. I didn't want to make him feel bad, but yeah. So you know, once in a while, I just give you these little encouragements just in case you think your pastor... Doesn't really have style, doesn't know how to dress. I'm getting mistaken for people like Billy Idol. Yeah. I told you that story, right? I won't tell you again. Anyways, it's, it's nice to have you. I was, I was thinking to myself, I wonder if we were showing the Super Bowl here tonight, if we'd have a sparse crowd. I don't know, that'd be interesting to find out. That's okay. I know it's kind of dangerous out there in our big airbag seatbelt. Heated butt cars. So driving down that dangerous road. You know, one that one time, after uh, after one of our concerts, conferences, it was like Faith Walkers. Only this was about uh, 12 years ago. <clears throat> it was in downtown Columbus, Ohio, and and I was doing a bunch of the messages there. I did the last night, <clears throat> and we got this terrible snowstorm, like 15 inches of snow, falling, 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 all the way from Columbus. All across Illinois, all across Wisconsin, all, all across Minnesota. And I had this 91 Toyota Camry. I had driven out there, five-speed. So after the service is done, it's done at 10 o'clock, I get in my car, and I drove through the night down what I think was the middle of the highway. <laughs> all through the night, uh, it, you know, snow, deep snow. The plows weren't even out. And the only way I figured out where I was in the middle was watching the reflectors. You know those posts? There is a reason they put them there. Those little reflectors all the way. And I beat you guys in your bus back. Do you remember that? I was waiting for you when you all got back. Two of you here. You remember that, don't you, Tim? You remember. You said, man, I don't want to follow a pastor like that. He's got guts. (laughs) Or he's an idiot. One of the two. Yep. So anyway, we won't let a little snow scare us off. So we've been talking the last couple of weeks about getting closer to God. And my prayer for this church and for you in 2013 is that you would grow closer to God in your personal relationship with Him. That you come to know Him in a greater way. That you come to understand things about Him that you don't presently because it's difficult to get close to someone, one, that you don't know very well, or two, that you've been light about. 
<clears throat> lied to about. And whenever you've been lied to about someone, it's, uh, it makes you more apprehensive to get to know God. So the first two weeks, we covered a little bit about God and his magnificent creation. And there's a book that you can get out in the hall full of scientific facts. Not hearsay, but scientific facts on the wonders of creation and how everything in the universe, in the heavens, on the planet, in the plants, in the insects, in the animals, in our biology, in history, all point to God. And it's a wonderful book. I gave it, actually, when I was at this conference in Chicago, I gave it to a good friend of mine who often speaks on creation and evolution. He's a scientist himself, and he couldn't put the book down. In fact, he didn't give it back to me. I told him he could have it. He had so many, he just kept reading it and reading it and reading it during our time there together. I said, Mark, this is really a fantastic book. So a, a bunch of the guys there are going to order them because I told them as well about uh, the book. And I, I just think you'll find it to be very encouraging. Last week, we talked about being intentional in our pursuit of God. And I ask you the question, how badly do you want to know God? How badly do you really want to know God? God reveals himself to those who really want to know. And so often, we're so distracted by things in this life. We're so caught up in other things. We want other things more than we want God. And so we looked at some passages. We looked at the life of the Apostle Paul. And how he says in Philippians, that I consider all things rubbish in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things and consider them dung that I might know Christ. Jesus Christ and knowing Christ and walking with Christ is the greatest adventure in the world. Now, I I can tell you this from experience. For almost 38 years now, I have been following Christ, going after Christ, growing in my relationship with Christ. I've had the privilege of traveling to many, many different places, telling many, many other people about Jesus Christ. I've met others in my life who have spent their life running after Christ. I was reflecting, I don't know if you heard about this, I'm only going to touch on it for a moment. But, but ask yourself this question. And I'm only, I'm, only using, I'm only saying this as an illustration, but would you rather be Mark Darling or Dan Marino today? Would you rather be Mark Darling or Lance Armstrong today? What I'm getting at, I'm not saying that I'm something special, but I'm saying a person who really knows God, I would rather be that person any day than when seven Tour de France's all on a lie. Can't even make my own marriage work. Can't make my life work. Or Dan Marino, who now for seven and a half years has been hiding from all of his close friends. Oh yeah, I had an affair, I have a child, and I'm paying her hush money. Or maybe you'd rather be Tiger Woods. If you think about all these people out there that achieve all these different things, so many of them, when you scrape away everything, they're hollow. They're empty. But Christ gives us meaning. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
Follow me and I will give you an abundant life. I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what the devil does. That's what the things of this world does. They steal your life. They steal your time. They steal your soul. They steal your mind. And they leave you empty and hollow. That's what it does. You don't have to look very far to see that. You may be doubting that. So look at some of the famous people. Look at their life. You want to be Whitney Houston? I wouldn't, I wouldn't be Beyonce or Jay-Z for all the money in the world. Give me Christ. They have nothing. They have momentary fame that's gone. And no one remembers your name. No one remembers your name. You just <clears throat> faded page in a temporal place called earth. Christ is life. Christ gives you meaning. Christ gives you purpose. Christ gives you fulfillment. But getting closer to God also comes with a price. And I want to talk with you tonight about one of the primary ways in which we come to know God. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we're going to look tonight at the life of Abraham. Father, we thank you tonight for the reality of God. We thank you, Lord, you are the one sure thing in this life. That we're yours and you are ours for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to each of us, for your marvelous creation. We thank you, Lord, for the bodies that you gave us, the eyes you gave us, the mind you gave us, the ears to hear, the mouth to speak. The heart that pumps blood through our body, that keeps us alive, the free air that we breathe every single day. All that we enjoy, Heavenly Father, is because of your goodness to us and your generosity to us and your gifts to us. All of them. And we thank you, Lord, most of all for your Son, Jesus Christ, that you sent him into this world to pay for our sin. That we could be forgiven. That we could know God. That we could be the recipients in the future of new bodies that will not die. That will not get sick. That we can live for eternity in your world. Where there is no problems. Where there is no stress. No worry. No sickness. No death. No hatred. No killing. No injustice. No work. No taxes. Just the joy of God in all your extraordinary new creation just for your children. We're the most blessed people in the world. But Lord, we just ask you that during this life, this brief life that we have, that we would not miss God. We would not miss the opportunity to walk close to you. As David said, the nearness of God is my good. David said, as we looked at last week, Lord, that in your presence is fullness of joy, that your loving kindness is better than life. And I can attest, Lord, your love is better than life. The satisfaction that we have in you is better than anything else in life. It's better than a new car. It's better than a new house. It's better than a new television. It's better than a new relationship. Everything in this world tarnishes. You do not. 
You get richer with time. And I just ask you, Lord, tonight, you open our hearts as we look at this man in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we're going to look at this simple phrase. We come to know and experience God through faith and obedience. There is no way that you will come to know God without faith and without obedience. In Hebrews chapter 11, we find this. What is faith? It is the confidence assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. God gave his approval to people in days of old because of their faith. By faith we understand the entire universe was formed by God's command. And what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Do you understand what that says? That all that we see came originally from nothing but the spoken word of God. You know, again, I just want to emphasize, it's really not that hard to grasp the power of God. When you think for a moment of us, think of us as human beings. Here we are, these creatures. Think of all the other animals, okay? I want you to think for just a moment, because maybe you haven't, of how much higher human beings are than other people. Now, I'm going to say this again. Part of the great propaganda of society and of science is to make you think that the dolphins are so incredible. Really. Show me their buildings. Show me their medical discoveries. Show me their ability to avoid the nets. Show me the boat they built. We are so much higher than the animals. Every animal on the planet, we are so much higher. Our language, so complex. Our abilities, so beyond what any animal can do or think or process. The entire world that you see today was built by the hands of men and women. Think of the exquisite meals that are made. Rather than swimming in the ocean all day with the barnacles living on you, trying to gobble enough fish for the day or plankton or whatever they eat. You and I take these hands and we take our minds and we apply ourselves to study and and what do we bring about? We've brought about the Great Pyramids. We've brought about the Hoover Dam. We've brought about the Transcontinental Railroad. We've brought about the most extraordinary scientific discoveries. Because of what God made us now, as high as we are above the animals, God is way beyond that. And what we can do with our hands, God does with his mouth. That is so graspable. There is nothing beyond being able to grasp that. God just said, let it be. Let there be light. Boom. And whatever he says must obey. The particles must come together because he has that kind of power. 
Same kind of power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Same kind of power that parted the Red Sea. Same kind of power that called a flood on the earth. Same kind of power that caused the plagues to come down on the Egyptians, but not on the Israelis living in the same land. All throughout the scripture and all around us, we see this incredible power. Well, God, God is not stupid. He expected people to believe this. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God. Now I want to get to this man. So you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. He rewards those who sincerely pursue him, who intentionally go after him. He'll reward you. He'll bless your life. He'll get involved in your world. He'll reveal himself to you. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised, he lived there by faith for he was like a foreigner living in a tent. Abraham did this because he was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. So tonight I want to just read to you a little bit about this man, Abraham. For those of you that are not familiar with the story of Abraham, I'll read just a little bit, and then I will, because I don't have time to read all ten chapters. I'll let you know a little bit about this man. But Abraham, in one sense, is the father of our faith. Abraham was a Chaldean. He was not a Jew. The Chaldeans are descendants of the Assyrians of the modern-day Iraqis, which is so ironic because of the great hatred there is from the Arab people and the Iraqis towards the Jew. And yet Abraham was one of them. You probably didn't know that. And in a particular moment in Abraham's life, God came to Abraham, and his name then was Abram, A-B-R-A-M, not Abraham. And God said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's house, and go to the land I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed him. I want you to think about this for just a moment. And we're going to get practical tonight with your life. So here's this guy, Abraham. And he's going along his life, and God comes knocking, just as God has come knocking in your life, just as God came knocking in my life. And you are going to have your Abrahamic moment. You're going to have many of them, but it always starts with one. And God is going to ask something of you. God is going to ask you to do something That at face value is difficult to do. 
He's going to ask you to follow him. Of course, this is what Jesus did. He asked us to follow him. And so God is asking Abraham, follow me and I want you to leave your comfort zone. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your relatives. I want you to leave your father's house. And I want you to go to the land I will show you. And and he gives him a promise. And I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. Now I want you to think about what you would think if if God came and told you something like that. I remember when God first spoke to me. And I was not living for God. I was not interested in the things of God. But God began to work in my life. And I knew unmistakably it was God. And so for the first several weeks, I ignored the voice. I really did. I ignored the voice. And God was pointing out some things in my life, saying, Mark, this is wrong. Mark, this is wrong. I want you to stop this. Mark, I want you to follow me. I want to do something with your life. And I resisted. And in my situation, God turned up the fire. And he brought another really difficult situation. And I turned off the voice. And God turned up the fire again and made it hotter and repeated the same actions from two days previously. And again, I... I got scared, but not scared enough, and I turned off the voice. And finally, one more time, and that was enough. And God God impressed upon my heart, Mark, I want to use you. I want you to come and follow me, and I want to use you to bring others to me. I want to use you to tell others about me. I want to use you to teach others about me. And I want you to give yourself to this. And I want you to prepare. That was a young man. Really, I seem like I was a junior high kid when I think of 19 now. And so I went and I began to do what the Lord instructed me. And it was amazing It was amazing the sense of God that I had in my life. Now, not everything was perfect. And I'm not saying, you know, that, well, I didn't struggle. But I'm just saying that that step of obedience, God called me, that step of obedience brought me closer to God. As I began to leave the world behind and I began to follow God. And that's what happened to Abraham here. So Abraham takes off. He was 75 years old at the time. So he's traveling along through Canaan. He comes to a place near Shechem. And he camps. And the Lord appeared to Abram again and said, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. Wow. By the way, if you ever hear people arguing about the Holy Land or that the Palestinians have been there forever... Just so you know, God made the planet, God's the landlord of it all, and God gave it to Abraham and the Jewish people. You can argue about that all you want, take it up with God. God gave them 
the land. And Abraham built an altar there to commemorate the Lord's visit. After Abraham traveled southward and set up camp in the hill country between Bethel on the west side of Ai on the east. Then he built an altar and worshiped the Lord. Now I want you to see a little pattern here. God comes and speaks to Abraham and Abraham remembers it. He commemorates it. It's important to him. Maybe it's important to you. Maybe you write it down in a journal. You date it. But you commemorate it. Then I want you to notice that Abraham worshipped God. He built an altar. Now, we don't build modern day altars because Christ is coming. We have Christ. But the key issue that I want you to see is God had Abraham's heart. In a growing way, God had Abraham's heart. And God spoke to Abraham. Abraham believed this is God speaking to me. He did what God told him to do, little by little. And God then continued to give him more direction. Sometimes the reason that we're not hearing the ongoing voice of God is because God already asked us to do something and we didn't do it. And until we do it, he ain't going to give any more instructions. I don't know if you knew that. And so while you're there in that holding pattern, it may seem to you like God isn't there. He's not speaking because you're not believing and obeying what you know he's already touched in your life. He's already said, do this. Do this. This is what I want you to do. And so we see this pattern with Abraham. Well... Abraham, you see his imperfection because the next thing that happens is he's traveling along through Egypt because there's a big famine. And he goes down to Egypt and Abraham was married to his half-sister. And that's kind of what they did in those days. All right? All kinds of tribes of people did this kind of thing. So, but she's his wife. But she's... From the scriptures anyway, she's stunning. She's um, unbelievable, knockout, gorgeous. So much so that Abraham knows how the kings of the earth operate. And he says, we go down to Egypt and Sarah, they see how beautiful you are. They're going to steal you from me. So they'll probably kill me. That's usually what they do. Kill me and take you. So just tell them you're my sister because if you tell them you're my wife, they'll probably kill me. Now again, Abraham, that was kind of a scumbag thing to do. Uh, You know, he wasn't being very gutsy. He wasn't trusting God. His first thought wasn't to pray for God's protection. His first thought was to scheme and connive and uh, put Sarah in a really tough situation. Well, as you know, ladies, those of you that read 2 Peter or 1 Peter 3, Sarah is actually an example of an incredible woman who feared God. So she didn't slap Abraham. She didn't call him names. She didn't tell him, you're a crazy idiot, you moron. Can't believe you're putting me in this position. She simply did what he asked. So the Pharaoh, sure enough, wow, this she's gorgeous. I want her. So the Egyptians take her and they bring her to his harem. Nothing happens, but in the middle of the night... God looks out for Sarah, and he scares the bejeebers out of Pharaoh. Pharaoh comes storming into Abraham. What have you done? What have you done? 
take God warn me if I touch this woman, he's going to bring a plague on me, kill me all because you lied to me. She's your wife. And Abraham weasels. He goes, well, I was scared, you know, like you'd kill me or something because she's so beautiful. You moron, get out of here. And Pharaoh sends him off with gold and wealth and on his way he goes. And God blessed Abraham because Sarah honored God. So they continue on their travels. And as they continue on their travels, shortly after this happens, they arrive back at Bethel. And this is the place Abraham had built an altar. And there he again worshipped God. So you see that God took him through this really big trial. He didn't turn away from God. He goes back to the place where it all began, where he worshipped at Bethel. And he worships again. And he takes time again to remember God. And then we go on a little farther and we see Abraham's heart because here's what happened. Abraham also has his nephew with him, Lot. <clears throat> and they're, they're, they're viewing this gorgeous, beautiful land. You can find this in chapter 13 of Genesis. And it is this gorgeous pasture land. And so Abraham, he tells Lot, Lot, you can have the best of this land. You can have it because our shepherds are constantly fighting over the grazing land. So, look, you, which would you take? You take this, I'll move way over there to that tough spot. And Lot said, well, thanks, Abraham. Yeah, I want this good valley. I want all this. So you see, again, the generosity of Abraham. You see that he's just trusting God. You see his faith is growing. Instead of trying to keep what's really good for himself, he gives it away. And in so doing, he gets even closer to God and God comes and speaks to him. After Lot was gone, the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, look as far as you can see in every direction. I'm going to give you all this land to you and your offspring as a permanent possession. And I'm going to give you so many descendants like dust, they won't be able to be counted. Take a walk in every direction and explore the new possessions I'm giving you. Then Abram moved his camp to the oak grove owned by Mamre, which is in Hebron. There he built another altar to the Lord. So you see <clears throat> Abram's progression. <clears throat> and with each step of faith and each act of obedience, he hears clearly from the Lord again. And he worships the Lord. And this cycle, it goes on and on and on. This was kind of the pattern of his life. <clears throat> well, they're in some pretty dangerous territory. This all would make a really awesome movie, actually. And the king of Babylon, the king of Elam, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, about six kings here. They come and do a big raid, and they grab Lot, his nephew, and all of Lot's relatives, and they take him captive. Abraham finds out about it, and uh, you know you may think Abraham, Abram was a cowardly guy; <clears throat> he was not, which is really amazing. And he went after the Bible says he went after his nephew, and they recovered everything, Lot's possession and all the women, and all the other captives. As Abram returned from victory, 
over Kedilomar and his allies, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, and a priest of God most high, brought him bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. There we see that creator again. And blessed be God most high, who has helped you conquer your enemies. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all of the goods he had recovered. <clears throat> and that's where we first see tithing. And we see Abram once again, instead of keeping all the possessions for himself, he gives back to God. And we see that pattern for men and women of faith throughout the scripture. Maybe this, for example, is an area that God's touching in your life. I'll remember, I was a young father. I had a couple children. And my, uh, my economic situation was very, very, very difficult. And my wife and I were in very difficult financial straits. I had just gotten a job after being three months out of work. My car was a $200 car. I lived in a $73 a month trailer. And, and we had no margin whatsoever, no margin. And I was trying to pay off two babies that I had no insurance for. And my wife's student loan. And a terrible car accident that we were in. <clears throat> and I went to a service one day. And the pastor was sharing on this area of finances. And he was sharing on the area of giving. And he got to the area of tithing. And he began to lay this out from the scripture. And as I sat there, I knew. I sat there. And this will often happen to you. God speaks to us anywhere. Often he will speak to us right in one of these Friday services. <clears throat> and I was sitting there and God was speaking to me. And God said to me, Mark, I want you to start giving me what's mine. I want 10%, Mark, <clears throat> of what you're making. <clears throat> well, my heart was to obey. I love the Lord, and I really wanted to do the right thing. This was the first time I had heard about this. So we're driving home. My wife said, well, Mark, what did you think of the service today? And I said, well, what did you think? She said, well, I think we need to do exactly what the Lord probably showed you because he showed me too. And I said, well, what's that? What did he show you? That we need to start giving God our $120 a month. <clears throat> and I said, you know, Kathy, I said, this is why I married you. I said, you're such an extraordinary woman. I said, but can I explain to you what that means? <clears throat> right now, I'm working nights at Zap. I'm working about 75 to 80 hours a week. You miss me. I know you miss me. I miss you. If I start to give $120 a month, it means I'm going to have to do this two more years besides the two we were already planning on. Because it will slow down the rate of our debt. <clears throat> and she looked at me <clears throat> and she said, no matter what it costs, Mark, we need to obey God. So that night, <clears throat> I went home. <clears throat> I had heard God. He touched something in my life. <clears throat> and I wrote that first check. Four days later, <clears throat> out of the blue, I get a call from a guy <clears throat> who is going to be selling me a car, <clears throat> uh, a really expensive $600 1978 Chevy Malibu, 
that he had put a whole lot of miles on. He said, Mark, the other night I couldn't sleep. So I'm sorry to hear that. I, he was a friend of mine. I said, what was wrong? He said, God, God was dealing with me. <clears throat> I said, well, what's going on? He said, Mark, I need to give you the car. I said, Wait, what? He said, remember the car you're going to make $50 payments a month and the car I was gonna, we were gonna, I was going to sell you? He said, yeah. He said, nope, it's all off. I need to give it to you. I could tell you so many stories tonight of so many situations where I <clears throat> stepped out in faith. I listened to voice. God spoke to my life. And then I did the next thing he asked me to do. I got closer to God. God came through. And we worshiped God. And this is the pattern <clears throat> that you'll see if you want to get close to God. We just have a few more of these <clears throat> and then we'll close. <clears throat> so then Abraham, the king of Sodom, tells him, Give back my people who are captured, but you may keep for yourself all the goods you have recovered. Now look at Abram's heart again. I have solemnly promised the Lord God, Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. There he goes again. Sovereign God, Most High, Creator of heaven and earth. That I will not take so much as a single thread or sandal from you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abram rich. All I accept is what these young men of mine have already eaten. But give a share of the goods to my allies, Anir, Ishkol, and Mamre. So there again, we see Abraham's heart. He was not going to touch the filthy bounty and money from this godless king. And he honored God. He lived in integrity. So look what happens. Afterwards, God spoke to Abram again and said, Do not be afraid, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. He just gave up this great pseudo-reward. And God comes to him and tells him, I'm going to reward you. <clears throat> now notice, Abram gets very honest with God now. And that's one of the secrets to being close to God, is honest conversation. <clears throat> Abraham replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since I don't have a son, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my house, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no children, so one of my servants will have to be my heir. Then the Lord said, No, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own to inherit everything I'm giving you. Then the Lord brought Abram outside beneath the night sky and said, Look at the heaven, count the stars. Your descendants will be like that, too many to count. And Abram believed the Lord. And the Lord declared him righteous because of his faith. Then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land. And so we see again that they made a covenant and God made a covenant and God kept his word with Abram again. <clears throat> and then we get to a really interesting passage. Most of you maybe have not heard about before. <clears throat> but God comes to Abram at 99 years of age. And he says to Abram this. I am the Lord God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live an upright, blameless life. <clears throat> I will make a covenant with you by which I will guarantee to make you into a mighty nation. 
Remember, this is one guy <clears throat> with his wife, no children, no children of his own. He's now almost 100 years old. He's been following God for 25 years. And we see this process. God speaks to him. Abraham listens. Abraham obeys. He worships. And God speaks to him again. <clears throat> Abraham listens. Abraham obeys. He worships. And God speaks to him again. <clears throat> now God says... I will make you a mighty nation. At this, Abram fell face down in the dust. Then the Lord said, this is my covenant I will make. I will make you the father of not just one nation, but a multitude of nations. I don't know if you understand, but what was happening here was God was not only promising Abram that he would be father of the Jewish nation, but he was promising Abram that the Messiah would come through the lineage of Abraham and that the Messiah, multitudes of tribes and people would be born again as numerous. Heaven will be as numerous as the stars on the, in the heavens. And that's, what, that's what's happening here. Is God is promising through your faith, not just through your physical seed, but through your faith seed. Because you believe me, I'll make you a father of multitudes of different nations. And the New Testament, of course, confirms this to us. What's more, I'm changing your name. It is no longer to be Abram. Now I'll be known as Abraham, for you will be a father of many nations. I will give you millions of descendants who will represent many nations. Kings will be among them. I will continue this everlasting covenant between us. Generation after generation, I will continue between you and me forever. And I will always be your God and the God of your descendants. <clears throat> now, listen to this. Your part of the agreement, God said, is to obey the terms of this covenant. You and all your descendants have this continual responsibility. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. This is circumcision. And I'm going to talk just a little bit about it tonight. My goal is not to embarrass you, but to inform you. Circumcision was commanded on little male babies when they were eight days old. There's a reason why it's usually eight days old. Because at that moment, they've discovered that there's enough uh, resilience in the baby. The pain is not quite as bad. And the blood coagulates better. And there's a few other reasons. But here's what I want you to know. Abraham was 100 when it happened to him. And it hurts bad. Not only does it hurt bad, but this is about the most private, sensitive area of a man's body. And just to tell you how sensitive, I was having some issues once about going to the bathroom. So they were worried maybe I had cancer. This is how, just to show how touchy us males can be. So they wanted me to go see the urologist. I just thought they were going to do some simple test. So the lady called me up on the phone and she said, Mark, I'm calling to set up your appointment. I said, oh, great. I didn't know they were going to call. I said, well, what's this appointment for? Oh, uh, for a, uh, what did she call it? It was a weird name. And, uh, oh, we need to check out your urethra. That's what it was, something like that. I said, 
oh, like, you mean like an x-ray? And she said, no, we mean, I mean like a tube. And, and I'm not a very informed person at that point. And I said, a tube, like where? <laughs> and then she explained. And I said, you know what? I don't mind getting up going to the bathroom three times a night. God bless you. You have a wonderful day. And I hung up the phone. <laughs> yeah, I hung up the phone. And I just drink less water at night and I minimize the situation. But I want to show you what Abraham did. So Abraham, on that very day, God gave him the command. He took his son and every other male in his household and circumcised them, cutting off their foreskins exactly as God had told him. Abraham was 99 years old at the time. And Ishmael was 13. Both were circumcised on the same day, along with all the other men and the boys of the household, whether they were born there or brought as servants. I'm going to tell you something. You think little things don't matter to God? That's a big deal. And Abraham did it, and it wasn't easy to do. And then God, and I could just stand here all night, God comes and speaks to him again. And God tells him now he's going to have a son. And he's supposed to name that son Isaac. Abraham's overwhelmed with joy. Sarah laughs. She's stunned. She can't believe it because her womb's been dead for years. She's way past childbearing years. She has the baby. And when Isaac's about 13, God says, Abraham... I want you to take your son. I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. Abraham didn't hem. He didn't haw. He didn't argue. He bundled up the donkey. He put the wood on the donkey. He walked with his son. Where are we going, Father? We're going to sacrifice to God. And when we get to that point, we find these words. I just want to read this little tiny section, and then we'll close. And I found it so compelling. It says in chapter 22, later on, God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. So then you go through the story and you find him doing this with the child. And then after he does this, God says, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld your own beloved son from me. You want to get close to God, it will cost you. They'll always be worth it. Do you realize, to be very honest, if Abraham had not been who he was, if he did not leave his home, and then he did not do the next thing, and then he did not do the next thing, there would be no Isaac, there would be no Jews, there would be no Messiah. Do you understand that? You follow the lineage, those boring lineages. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And if Mr. Abraham wasn't there to start the begatting, there is no Messiah. His role was huge. And yet, when his wife Sarah died, 
Abraham was approximately 120 years old. And his wife died. He didn't even have a burial plot. He had no land of his own. All he had was the promise of God and the closeness of God. And he had to buy a burial plot because he didn't even have his own land. I want to ask you these questions in closing. What is God asking you to do? What has God been asking you to do? What has God been touching in your life? What things is God presently asking you to obey him in that you haven't been? What things does God want you to trust him for? What are some things here that you know, God, I need to trust you. What is God asking you to sacrifice? God will test you and he will find out if you will trust him and obey him. That little phrase, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. There's no other way to be close to God than to learn to trust him in faith and obey what he asks you to do and worship him. And then you'll hear him again. And then you'll hear him again. And the more that's the habit of your life, the, give up the resisting of God, the more you will hear and the closer you become. Let's pray. I really do appreciate you guys coming out tonight. I realize it's slick. I want you to know that. I realize it's really cold and it's a little hairy driving on the roads. I really appreciate you coming out tonight. And I trust God spoke to your heart in some way. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives and your mercy in our lives. And we thank you tonight, Lord, for Abraham. That his life still speaks to us today. This is a real man, Lord, a real woman living in really difficult times. This is some make-believe story. We can learn so much. It encourages my heart so much to read about this man. And I thank you, Lord, that in small ways, you you have been close to me like you were to Abraham. And you have taken me step by step. And Lord, I, I still have a lot of life left in me. And I ask you, help me to continue listening to your voice and doing what you ask me to do and worshiping you each day along that journey. I pray, Lord, for the folks that are here tonight. I know they're here for a reason. I know that there's something you're touching in their life. And I ask you to help them to do it. In Jesus' name. Amen.